this time on Watchers of Tomorrow, The Deadly Years, Part 2. Two watches of tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that's totally not just an excuse to get a super buff man almost naked on a shuttlecraft. My name is Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we've got what another it's another one of those ones where the name is weird. But uh it, it's it's weird, people, but people people remember it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh it, it is kind of apt in terms of like actually connecting to the episode, but still pretty weird. Yeah. Well, we talked about this last time. I feel like it, it connects to the episode in a way that only makes sense after you know the twist of the episode, which is a weird thing to put in the title. Yes. <laughs> uh, episode. Oh, spoilers. This is a, continuing our trend of, of remakes of original series uh, plot lines. Indeed. Where we're going to be uh, taking an idea here, twist up a few things here, and then kind of redo it. See what happens. Yes. So specifically, this is, we found a ship where everyone has inexplicably aged themselves to death. Oh no, Captain Kirk! He didn't get himself fixed after that one episode. Yeah, this is the episode called Unnatural Selection. <laughs> you see what I did mm-hmm. there? See what they did? It's unnatural, <laughs> but it's like natural selection, but yeah, it's, un. Yes, it's uh, you know, not doing it the natural way. Yeah. Yeah, which... Actually, I believe uh, Darwin talked about in his uh, famous works there. Mm. Well, that's how you figured it out, because they were doing pigeon breeding. Exactly. So it's like, what if nature does this just kind of like, because? (laughs) Yeah. Like, we can do that. So wouldn't it happen just sort of naturally by itself? Yeah. Will that make sense? Just following along the logic here. And everything comes together. No, no, no. Man's super special and... Man, man can do things that nature can't. How dare you? <laughs> How dare? How dare you make us not super special? Now, this episode has two writers. They worked kind of as a team. We have uh, John Mason and Mike Gray. They worked together on several documentaries, including American Revolution 2 hmm. and uh, the pilot for the rocket, the or rocket. the rocket pilots. Rocket Pilots. Apparently is the name of the thing. Gray also created the TV series Starman. Starman! And is a uh, staff writer for this season. Which I've not seen Starman, uh, but uh, cool. Yeah, I don't know Starman. <laughs> what is Starman? Uh, it's a 1986-87. Uh, 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 an alien returns to Earth years after an early visit to reunite with his Earth son, and together they search for the alien's human wife. Oh, cool. The Starman, also a David Bowie song. Yes. Which uh, came out ten years before that, so they probably copied it. Yes. I think there's also a movie called Starman, but I'm not sure if it has any connection. Yeah, I do knew. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, not well received on the Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) but it did have Jeff Bridges in it. Hooray! (laughs) Which is interesting, considering we're just talking about Marvel movies. (laughs) It's all coming together, man! (laughs) Anyway... Yeah, David Bowie and Starman. It's nothing to do with this. <laughs> but what if we were reviewing Starman instead? Would uh, <laughs> h- How would we approach it? <laughs> I have no idea because I don't know what it is. We'd probably start singing badly, mm. knowing us. Ground control to Major Tom. The, 
That's a different song. I know, but I don't know the Starman song very well. <laughs> He's the Starman oh, yeah. doing something I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's reaching for the stars. I think he's a star man reaching for the stars, but uh Well uh maybe the Okay, now I just gotta Yes. Where are we? Where's where's my lyrics? <laughs> oh no, he's waiting in the sky. He's waiting in the sky. Oh that makes more sense actually, because you know yeah. he's coming down from earth, uh, the sky to, to Earth maybe. There we go. He's the star man waiting in the sky. He told us not to blow it. Oh no. <laughs> I think we did. Crap. Yeah. Uh, Kaplan, we're doomed. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard this whole song. The, inter the intergalactic community is upset with us. Yeah, I mean, well, they might be. It's hard to say. Do they just like you fucked up your own planet, so stay here? Or yeah, we'll we'll not share the secrets of immortality or uh, FTL travel with you, ha huh? <laughs> All right, so we have several guest stars. Mm -hmm. You know, once we get around to uh, <laughs> guest stars. We've got uh, Patricia Smith plays Dr. Sarah Kingsley. She has been acting for a very long time. One Indeed. of her earliest appearances was on the 1953 Kraft Television Theater. So her acting career predates commercials. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, there's also the you know, Campbell Summer Soundstage, the Motorola uh, Television Hour, uh, Phil Cole Television Playhouse, uh, <laughs> and so on. <laughs> yeah, she had a lot of uh, minor roles in the 60s and 70s and things like Gunsmoke, Twilight Zone, The Fugitive, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's on Quincy. <laughs> continued acting a lot, continued acting most of the way through. Yes, uh, including uh, Highway to Heaven. The Bold and the Beautiful, uh, Trapper John, M.D. Yeah, I never heard of half of those. Yeah. But. <laughs> well, Trapper John, M.D. was a sequel to M.A.S.H. Was it? Yeah. Because, huh. you know, Trapper Wonder John, why. the character for M.A.S.H. Yeah. Only sort of. No. I haven't seen M.A.S.H. in a long time. It was about war trauma. Uh, I, like he comes back and can't get over his PTSD. PTSD. I, I've never seen it myself, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Okay, and um, I don't know. I just thought the guy deserved a credit we have george baxter who plays david who doesn't get to talk yep but he does sit around shirtless for quite a while <laughs> i'm going to show off my pecs today but he was in a lot of uncredited background stuff he was mm -hmm. in goodwill hunting hmm. and thriller resurrection do, and do, uh, do, now do. he lives in seattle with his husband which i just thought was cool nice i think uh, the only other uh, you know actual uh, acting uh, credit he gets is for uh, emerald knights which i've never heard of so in fact yes anyone who looks that good and is that buff is gay cool just so we all are on the same page the power of the pecs they compel you uh, and also finally you you've been waiting for this you've been waiting for this for two seasons yep <laughs> it's time colmini is finally on yes. as miles o'brien because this is the first episode where O'Brien gets a name. Yes, he's finally a real person. Hooray! <laughs> Before this, he was always transporter chief. Mm -hmm. or, or, like, not even that, just, like, guy. <laughs> yeah. I saw interviews with, with Cole Meany where he said they didn't tell him 
that his character was becoming this kind of regular. He just kept getting called back for transporter chief yeah. <laughs> or background ensign or whatever. And then he comes in one day and all of a sudden all of his lines have an actual name next to them. <laughs> it's like, wow, surprise. <laughs> so, uh, you know, if uh, for some reason you're not familiar with Cole Meany in terms of uh, his uh, Star Trek credits, uh, uh, he ends up uh, being in a, a bunch more episodes of The Next Generation. In fact, he's in 52 episodes in total. Uh, which uh, is, uh, you know, less than a third of the number of appearances he has in Deep Space Nine, uh, with 173 episodes. So, yeah, he's uh, a, a regular throughout, uh, you know, next two, <laughs> this series and the next. So, you know. Yeah, series regular on Next Gen with continuing guest appearances, including his entire story arc. Mm-hmm. He's one of the main secondary characters. Then, of course, becomes a main character on DS9. Which I do kind of like that when like there's a, a like a second series you know that continues on from you know a first series and they kind of promote and you know someone from the first series to be on the new series that was like a background mm. character because like it it builds that ver- verisimilitude uh, sort of stuff there I like it yeah it was nice continuity yeah uh, also uh, Colmini was in Hell on Wheels for uh, like as a regular as well as. Uh, Thomas Doc Durant for 52 episodes and, uh, you know, kind of the biggest thing he was doing uh, post uh, Star Trek, but he's been in a few other things as a, a regular for bits and pieces here, so. Yeah, he's a reoccurring villain in Stargate Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I love whenever he shows up there. That was always fun. Yes. <laughs> the Jedi. Like, hey, I'm going to be like a bad guy here. Ha! Ah. <laughs> he's also in uh, Tolkien. Didn't know they had a you know a book a movie about Tolkien. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. Maybe he uses his real accent. <laughs> okay, we've got some story to get to. Yes, apparently, I'm pretty sure there was a story that happened. Yes, I I, I will say that there's a the, the story here is pretty I guess bare bones, but there is actually some good mood at times here. Which oh yeah, it's it's a good episode overall, mm-hmm. and it gives Pulaski something to do, yes. which they usually don't, which is kind of nice she's a good actor Mm -hmm. so you know we uh, got Pulaski doing stuff and uh, like interacting and having character moments and it's great so the Enterprise is doing something super vital and important that doesn't matter Uh, (laughs) Picard asks Troy to his office to talk about Pulaski because he has some doubts about this character that the writers don't know what to do with but Troy thinks she's cool Mm -hmm. so great yeah she's kind of a badass don't worry about it Picard's like oh Okay. Before we can get into depth on anything that's happening, we receive a distress call from the USS Lantry, who reports that their crew is dying, and then the signal cuts off. Mm. So that's not a good sign, probably. Nope. Uh, so uh, we either got themselves stuck in an anomaly of some sort, or they're facing down like a space plague. So they catch up with the Lantry, which is just flying aimlessly through space. They perform a computer override to take control and turn its engines off and get a remote view of the bridge where everyone has died from extreme old age. So it wasn't an anomaly this time. Probably. There seemed to be no reason for this. One of the officers was reported as having a strain of alien flu. But it's usually a completely harmless virus that humans just get over in a couple days. That couldn't have done all this. Hmm. Wait, maybe it was an anomaly then. They play the last log entry where the captain is just talking about how everyone's dying. They also find that the Landry had stopped at Darwin Station, which is a genetic research facility. And they decide to at least give them a warning 
in case they need to quarantine, you know, whatever those on the ship, it might have spread. Yes. So, you know, we should probably let them know that, you know, if there's like some weird virus around, then uh, perhaps, you know, you should watch out for that. So they activate the quarantine beacons on the ship, which is just like, hey, stay away. Deadly virus. Yep. And uh, hopefully everyone has, uh, you know, universal translators so that they could pay attention to that. Uh, this is a plague ship. Go away. <laughs> danger, danger. They contact Dr. Kingsley, who's impressed by Pulaski because she wrote about virology a bit ago. Uh, Kingsley's a bit curt, but she's also been infected by the aging sickness because she looks to be about 60 years old at 35. Whoops. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, well, I guess you could have gotten pulled in the, the same anomaly that the spaceship did. That clearly happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, the whole station went through whatever thingy. Her chief concern is that she wants to get the children off of the station because uh, they need to be kept safe as children, and they've also been in complete isolation since before the outbreak started, so they should be completely fine and uninfected. Oh, that's convenient. Uh, so you just normally keep your kids in, like, a box? Yeah, kid in a box. Yeah, all right. <laughs> they have a meeting about what to do. No one wants to make contact with the station because they don't know how this thing spreads. Troy thinks that Kingly believes the children are safe, but she's also not telling them the entire truth, so they should probably be careful. Blask mm. thinks they should bring one of the kids on board to do some something. Should do something something with the kid. I can't really explain. But, you know, we should definitely bring them on board for some reason. Yeah, analysis to, you know, see if they uh, have been infected and maybe, you know, if they haven't, you know, like maybe they have some sort of natural immunity that, you know, that'd be cool. So they set up a containment field and they plan to beam one of the kids aboard in Styrolite. Hmm. It's a fancy thing that puts them in suspended animation and it's just a weird shell. Yeah, it's like putting your kids in styrofoam now, not just a box. Huh. Yeah, it's the newest thing. It's the greatest, <laughs> it's, it's the greatest uh, innovation in childcare. <laughs> just put your kids in storage until they're old enough to... <laughs> I read this book by Dr. Spock who says kids are annoying and you should put them in suspended animation. <laughs> Mr. Spock disagreed with this, but... It is only logical that since children go through a lot of emotional harm and trauma, it's better to sleep through the whole thing. <laughs> no, I, I think I've uh, read some stories that, take pl that sort of have that vibe. Like, they hook kids up to learning machines when they're, like, you know, real young, and so they just, like, dream all their education, and then they wake up and they're, like, 18. So it's like, hooray! <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have no emotional contact with anyone ever, and now I'm expected to survive in society. But I have knowledge about the world. So Brian sets up the transporter to beam in the styrolite a few milliseconds before they beam in the kids, so no one can be infected, and they're in a containment zone in sick bay, etc., etc. <laughs> so they beam in the child, who is a super buff 25 year old. Yep. So uh, Worf, you know, aptly says it's a, it's been a tr it's a trick. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> Deception. Pulaski examines the child who is perfect, probably genetically engineered, the future of, hum of humanity, definitely telepathic, immune system so advanced that it can't possibly get sick. Pulaski wants to open him up. He's like, oh my god, we've got to get this guy out of the suspended animation. Look how perfect his pecs are. I mean, look how perfect his genetics are. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to like inspect all of that like real closely here without the styrolite in the way. Uh, 
Can I do that, Captain? Picard thinks it's too risky to expose the ship to an unknown, deadly, deadly disease, you know? Yeah, so... Maybe just because the kid's cool, we shouldn't open him up right here. Mm -hmm. Velasco goes, I'm right, though, Captain. (laughs) Sure you are, but I'm also the Captain, so no. They get into conflict. They don't get along. This is the character dynamic we're setting up for this episode, apparently. Mm -hmm. She's also... 100% 100% and completely provably in the wrong yep. <laughs> in this situation. Like, not just because we know what will happen later, but because you have absolutely no way to know whether this kid is carrying an infection and it's stupid to expose the entire ship to it unnecessarily. Indeed, you know, just because you're immune to it doesn't mean you can't be a carrier. Yeah, it is like a legitimately stupid quarantine move and Picard is 100% right to call her out on it. (laughs) And we're supposed to be like, oh, look, strong personalities clashing. Maybe Pulaski knows that her, uh, you know, uh, her, like, monthly review is in uh, the the, the works right now and so she's like, Hmm. I need to, like, be assertive so the captain thinks I'm assertive. Yeah. I also do question, though. So you're on a very, very large, like, city-sized spaceship like this thing is about half the size of manhattan i don't think it's quite that and large but it's like a, a, a fairly large building i'd say oh yeah i'm confusing it with the star destroyers yeah but like it's still pretty huge i think i saw a thing that, like it takes up a decent chunk of downtown it's not just like one skyscraper yeah as i said it's a fairly large building like this is a huge freaking ship it's meant to go into space why is every single part of it so completely interconnected that if you have an infection happen in sick bay, it spreads across the entire ship in 10 minutes. <laughs> because you have to have only one uh, system that is life support. Otherwise, we mm. can't, you know, complain about life support going down. You would think that you might want sick bay, the place where you keep all of the sick people, to possibly be its own completely isolated environment. Indeed. You know, so isolated that if you were to, like, beam the entire sick bay into space, it would, like, be able to survive on its own for, like, years. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that'd be great. You could be like, we need the sick bay to be completely quarantined, detach it from the ship and keep it tethered. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we can keep all the sick people in there and uh, the rest of us don't have to worry about that until we get sick too. Oh no. Anyway, Kingsley tells Pulaski that they have to save the children. This is a phrase that when old white women say it, it gives me just hives. Yeah. <laughs> save the children! Um, from... from not dying like you are right now um what (laughs) so everyone thinks the kids will die as soon as the adults in the station do but they're also like 25 year old super children yes so they're probably capable of taking care of themselves yes they they, uh have uh you know all sorts of crazy powers which we haven't even seen all of them yet and uh you know they're like supposed to be super intelligent too so yeah, if they could use a replicator, they can probably last for a good long while. Yeah. Lasky says she will do what she can. She consults with the Forge to try to find a completely safe, fail-safe way to get the children out and prove they're harmless. There's nowhere on the ship that can be sealed off with absolute certainty, which seems like a dumb way to design ship. Mm-hmm. You probably should have that. Yep. <laughs> Let's put it on the next uh, big upgrade here. (laughs) So what they decide to do is to go to something that has a completely independent environment like Shuttlecraft. So, you know, basically what we just mentioned. That would be a good idea. (laughs) So Pulaski takes this to Picard, who despite his reservations, sees she's trying to work within his boundaries, so lets her take the child out in a shuttle. She requires Data, who can't get sick. 
to pilot the thing. And then once they're off the ship, they beam the child aboard. All right. So uh, he's here. It's, uh, Data, are you, uh, are you immune to the power of the pecs? Apparently. Data is immune to the peck power. Pulaski's not. Yes. <laughs> so Pulaski uses a thingy, and it melts away the styrolite coating. And the child gets up and stares at her, which is apparently telepathic communication. My first guess is that this child communicates telepathically so that he gets the scale rate for a background actor and not a speaking actor. Yep. <laughs> you know, this, uh, this uh, person looks like they have something to say, but they can't because they're an extra. <laughs> well, he also starts to examine him, but then suddenly gets arthritis. Well, uh... That's inconvenient, but she is kind of uh, up there in years. But wait a moment. Didn't they mention earlier that uh, one of the first signs was arthritis? Yeah. It's mm. like the children carry the disease yeah. without being affected by it. Mm. This seems like a terrible thing. What do you thing. know? Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, kid, but uh, you're now uh, going to be uh, doomed to never encounter anyone else ever again. Sorry. So they beam the kid back to the station, and they decide they may as well take the shuttle to the station as well, because Data can't get sick, and Pulaski's got to be in quarantine, mm -hmm. so. Well, Data at least can't get sick in the same way. Though, uh, you know, he has gotten that crazy drunk virus thing before. But I have pores. Humans have pores. <laughs> if you prick me, do I not bleed, you know, motor oil? <laughs> so they need to find a way to get Pulaski and Data back. Data's fine. He's immune. They can send him through the scrubber and it'll be great. Yes. But they can't get Pulaski back on board. Normally, the transporter can filter out diseases, but they don't know how this one is spread, so they can't necessarily count on that happening. Mm -hmm. So with Data, you can say, yeah, there's no life forms at all or any biological material, so he's cool. But, yeah. uh, you know, Pulaski, well, if you do that, you just don't beam up anything. Yeah, just scrub anything organic with Data and it's fine, yes. we assume. We don't know how data functions, yes. even a little. <laughs> Brian has an idea. If they can get Pulaski's old transporter pattern and compare it with her new pattern, then they can filter out anything that's different, and that would be the disease. Mm -hmm. However, Pulaski's never even once used the transporter. So, yeah, her uh, borrowed character uh, trait from McCoy is now, uh, you know, causing her a mischief so that's a problem yep so they decide to contact her last ship the uss repulse in hopes that they have it and in the meantime they need to modify the transporter so that this can work so o'brien starts working to save the day so o'brien can you uh work uh, work up a deus ex machina to save everybody well yeah just don't make it a habit okay so on the station data and pulaski go to see the children that kingsley's so proud of um, she's flabbergasted that they could have carried the disease because they're so resistant to disease. They're perfect in every way. They're not genetically engineered. No, they're not engineered. Don't even think about yeah. that. That's illegal. <laughs> we just created them. Yes, we uh, created them whole cloth out of um, our replicator. Yeah, we replicated these kids. <laughs> <laughs> and their immune system is so perfect that it's not passive like our immune systems that wait for something to come inside of our body and fight it off theirs is actively aggressive it seeks out and destroys diseases around them mm -hmm. <laughs> before they even get to the body so uh basically they're s s constantly secreting some sort of uh you know uh 
you know, antibody sort of thing that goes out and locates viruses and bacteria and you know, destroys them. And that sounds like a horrible idea, actually, when you think about it, because what's it to keep it from looking at a, uh, a bacteria, you know, cell there and like a human cell and being like, these are the same thing. Mm hmm. Seems like a very bad idea. Yeah. Also, apparently it alters viral DNA to make it neutral somehow hmm. prevent it from being a virus anymore like you're no longer and a virus, Plasky yeah. goes wait a minute what if they altered the flu that that one guy had and hmm. then they look at a model and goes like look the way that their immune system alters the flu dna turns it into this horrible aging virus hmm. that's a problem so uh, we're getting ourselves infected with a uh, thing that messes with our genes now and causes us to age. And yeah, this is all kind of weird, but you know, mm. Star Trek plots. So there's super advanced children created the aging plague. Mm. These children They're are. not just carriers. Yeah, they're, they're out to get us. These kids, these kids these days, they're trying to murder everyone. So that's great. Now they have nothing to do because it's, it's DNA damage. Mm-hmm. Also, they find Pulaski's old ship, and it doesn't have her transporter records either, because she does everywhere by shuttlecraft. For years, apparently. Yes. <laughs> she also demanded to be transferred to the Enterprise, because she wanted to work with Picard. Hmm. He's like, oh, she does like me. Yeah. Cool. She, yeah, she just, you know, butts head with me constantly, so, you know. So, Pulaski reports back that she can never leave the station, and the children can't leave the station. They probably shouldn't have meddled with natural evolution. Science is bad. We don't know what we're doing. Did we think we were gods, etc., etc.? Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't have meddled in God's domain. Mm -hmm. Data returns to the Enterprise. Uh, Picard starts reasoning out the transporter problem. They don't have Pulaski's pattern, but what if they could get her DNA hmm. and then use the DNA to modify the pattern? Yeah. Uh, they find they. Try to find her original DNA, but, you know, all the records are caught up in military bureaucracy. They haven't been sent to the ship yet. Da-da-da-da. So Riker and Data rush to recorders to find something that might have her DNA on it, but she is, like, particularly clean. There's not even a skin cell yeah. anywhere in the quarters. <laughs> well, we don't really know how, like, quarters on the, uh, the Enterprise, like, how they clean them generally. There might be, like, a weird field that activates and, like, just... You eliminates everything off of uh, various surfaces when there's no one in the room or something for all we know but you know that's st stuff that's not being established here or anywhere so eh. well they do say at one point that the ship's the ship cleans itself exactly <laughs> but how we don't know <laughs> yeah so they eventually find a hairbrush the hairbrush has a hair follicle on it so they have dna yeah, it's a start. So they inform Pulaski to be ready. They also use the same thing to save the others if this works. Of course, it's never been tried before, except for all those times they did it in original series. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I guess uh, O'Brien just hasn't uh, read all the reports about Kirk yeah, and his shenanigans. So. so they get the transporter ready. She beams on board. Uh, first, she still looks all old and whatever, but then she rapidly de-ages and becomes solid. Picard greets her warmly because they like each other now. Hooray. Hooray. So uh, we've had uh, character evolution and de-aging at the same time. Hmm. They fix everyone else off screen. Um, and they decide that they're just going to rehouse the plague children somewhere and let them live off in isolation. 
Yeah, so, uh, sorry kids, but you can't interact with the large universe because you'll kill everybody. So, you know, that sucks. Uh, yeah. Don't start a civilization, please. And they return to the Landry and destroy it with torpedoes. Which is, I guess uh, they do kind of make a moment of it where everyone's kind of standing up there in respect and it's like, yeah, sorry, but we're blowing you up and uh, goodbye everyone who uh, died on the ship. And uh, Yep. And uh, Worf, uh, it's time for you to do the, your favorite thing. And he's like, okay. They don't They don't even consider, like, could we scrub the virus? Could we clean it? Could we expose the entire ship to space and then mm-hmm. send it through one of those scrubby things that destroys all organic matter? Yes. You know, yep. And, you know, salvage a big, expensive ship. You know, slowly, uh, you know, beam it apart uh, piece by piece until, uh, you, know, you know, there's no biological matter attached to it at all. And there you go. I mean, if you think about it, they're putting a lot of stock in the fact that blowing up is going to destroy this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, what if this thing just becomes dormant when exposed to space and floats around and eventually just lands on some random planet? Yeah, or heck, even like you know, just lands on the Enterprise. Like you know, get, you know, get a a weird uh, you know uh, lesion of uh, infection or something like that on the surface of the ship. That like uh, causes problems, and everyone's like, "What's what's up with this? We don't know. It's it's eating away at the hole. It's going to cause problems." Oh yeah, something that could be a thing that might pop up later. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> it's maybe something to be thinking about here, guys. Come on. Yeah. Hey, unnatural selection. Mm-hmm. That was that was the thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now I I think we should probably point out that at this point the. Uh, outright ban in this era at least of uh, genetic tinkering hasn't really been established so this being a thing that is just happening on this planet is I guess you know you know, no one's really like, like too sussed about it yeah they hadn't really talked about it they aren't angry they're not continu- fully continuing the continuity yet mm-hmm. you know and but uh, still seems like maybe not the greatest idea yeah. <laughs> it can always uh, like hand wave it away that yeah technically this is a uh, you know federation citizens but this is on a uh, non-federation outpost or something like that so they can get away with stuff here maybe mm. yeah it's just weird scientists i guess mm-hmm. i guess they uh you know wanted to uh to make the perfect uh, uh beings and uh didn't really think about you know one you know how to do it right and two, if they really should, but uh, you know, they kind of maybe screwed up on both fronts, really. So, yeah. So uh, I should probably point out I watched the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three the other day, and uh, uh, the the main bad guy there kind of smells like these research scientists, but <laughs> but he's a lot more like punchable overall. So you know, there's maybe not quite apt full uh, you know congruency here, but yeah. <laughs> He smells like these scientists. Well, he also wants, you know, quote, to fight, you know, to make the perfect beings or societies and things like that. And, uh, you know, is doing, you know, genetic tinkering and all that sort of jazz. And, uh, you know, engineering the, 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 uh, the ideal beings for the new world he's making. Yeah, that's just a constant uh, freaking plot point somewhere. Yeah. Everyone always wants to do that. And uh, I, I, we're going to create perfect beings. Look at us go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy kind of, uh, I guess, uh, drew some big circles around why this is a horrific sort of uh, mentality overall. Uh, probably a little better than this episode did, but it was kind of, you know, at least hinted in this episode. 
I do think it's kind of interesting to that this episode does do something a little bit different than we've seen in older Star Trek or the reason that the, the you know eugenics is outlawed in this century any of the other things like mm-hmm. a lot of sci-fi does this if you create the perfect human they will become mad with power yeah. <laughs> and try to kill everyone and that's why you shouldn't do that but uh here it's like no they're not mad with power they actually seem pretty chill but uh they are actually physically incompatible with you know, everyone else in a very active way well i think what's kind of interesting is how random and unexpected it is they do a weird thing with it but it's it's admitting that the main problem that we have with genetic engineering eugenics any of these ideas that we have for we could improve humanity as a species with science is how randomly interconnected biology is Mm -hmm. like you can't really have fully predictable outcomes exactly so this one created a super virus so that it works with the show but it's still just, we had no idea this was going to happen. We had no way to predict that this particular set of interactions would lead to this particular thing because you just can't really predict biology on that level. Indeed. You know, biology is a very large vector space of possibilities that it is impossible to account for every possibility that could come up. So, you know, don't even try, really. Like, that's one of the main problems that we have with current research and science around genetic engineering and gene altering Mm -hmm. we can do research on genetics and we've got predictive stuff and these stupid not really ai neural network models trying to work out stuff now Mm -hmm. but usually you can say something like here's a clump of genes and in people who have this clump of genes in that way they have this particular characteristic and people who have this clump of genes in a slightly different way tend to have this other characteristic and that's not universal and there's a lot of exceptions and it's just sort of random statistical averages and also we don't know what else that clump of genes is connected to if anything yes could be completely so like do you want to change more. it and change someone's eye color maybe you also just gave them a kidney disease yes, so uh congrats on that you've now uh doomed them because you uh want an anesthetic uh, alteration you fool <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we have covered a little bit of uh all of this uh when we uh, talked about katika way back but uh you know there are you know also possibilities where you know, you have the club of genes where, yeah, this is a very high chance of, you know, heart disease here. And then the person with this, uh, you know, uh, you know, genetic marker doesn't end up getting it in the end. Uh, because once again, it's all about chances and possi- uh, probabilities, not, you know, guarantees in terms of our understanding. Yeah, you kind of, you just can't predict this stuff well enough and it's all interconnected in weird ways and we're not even completely sure whether the same genes do the same things in the same people Mm -hmm. i guess uh to a more i guess common experience for folks is looking at uh medication compatibility you know is the medication going to be effective in doing what it's supposed to be doing is it going to cause some people side effects is it going to do something really weird for like a very small uh you know fraction of the people uh, and it's not even clear why that's happening. You know, they you know do a genetic analysis, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee, you know, that you're going to have a solid answer in terms of you know, the why of anything there. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work well with folks, and well, we just kind of have to sort of, 
give it a try and well if it doesn't work then it doesn't work if it does then hooray hopefully you've got to look at something like this we're improving the race kind of idea they don't critique it. They never critique the idea. They always critique the execution. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to look at this because they have such a clear set out idea of what an improved human would be. Like psychic powers, okay. Everybody likes psychic powers, I suppose. Yeah. And telekinetic and and telepathic. Yeah, well, growing up. Immune to diseases, yeah. all that stuff, fine. Though I will also point out that because biology, if you make a human whose immune system is immune to diseases, eventually the diseases will randomly mutate in such a way that they get past the immune system. That's what's been happening throughout all of evolutionary history. Yes. You know, the only, I guess, quote, guaranteed way would be to radically change your biology so it doesn't work with, like, genes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. You can do that thing that bats do. Yeah. Bats don't. Uh, kill the diseases they just live with them <laughs> they uh their immune response gets just enough to keep the disease from doing anything damaging to them but not enough that it harms them like ours does <laughs> so bats are just filled with viruses <laughs> the bats you know they're adorable or they're cute and uh, it's, they're so, so tiny sometimes or so huge but uh you know they're you know Maybe not folks to hang out with very much because, you know, if they sneeze on you, it might be a bad time. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say for reference for anyone, since you mentioned, don't touch mammals. Stop it. Yep. <laughs> like you've got your dogs and cats and domestic animals that you know where they came from, you know where they've been. But mammals out in the wild, mammals are the thing that can give you the most diseases yep. <laughs> because they're very genetically close to you. Yeah. And they have many of the same kinds of diseases. So stop touching them. Yeah, and, uh, I guess a similar uh, thing, you know, can be extended to livestock uh, even because, you know, like part of the whole uh, cold and flu cycle tends to be like, yeah, and then humans give, you know, these diseases to pigs and then the pigs give it back. Now altered. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep, livestock, squirrels. I see so many people in the park trying to pet squirrels. Stop that. Yeah, yeah you could let the squirrel just hang out over there and... Uh, yeah, that's all cool, but you know, squirrels have hantavirus. Yeah, so don't, so don't, you know, get that. We've got time for you. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, mammals are going to give you diseases, and people need to know this and stop, stop doing that. You're going to hurt yourself. Yes. Uh, instead, just get yourself like a pile of cats, and you know, if you want to like, you know, pet something small and you know that, that can be like freaked out occasionally, then you're good to go there. And you do. So you got to look at when someone says we are going to create the perfect human. I mean, I think this episode is actually pretty explicit with it, even though it goes completely uncritiqued, that the perfect human is a super attractive 25-year-old white person. <laughs> yeah, that's a little uncomfortable. Uh, I, 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 I do appreciate later when they, for the episode, The Masterpiece Society, where they have uh, a, you know, a engineered society that split off the federation ages ago so they're sort of got away with doing all this sort of eugenic stuff here uh that you know the the people that exist in the society are actually diverse in terms of like skin culture uh colors and things like that uh yeah while here you know it's everybody's just white <laughs> yeah they have more diversity in the masterpiece society and all that junk mm-hmm and I'd also say it's a, a better critique of some of the general drawbacks to uh, all of this uh, as well. In term, you know, because like 
let's say, an episode where they're kind of drawing a big circle around, yeah, this society technically kind of works and exists, but it's stagnant and unable to adapt to uh, changing conditions outside of it. And so even if you are good to go on everything else, having this sort of, you know, super engineered situation is going to doom you in time because, well, the universe keeps changing around you and you can't ch change that. Well, that one's also very good. We'll get there eventually. But I think that's the thing that they have in that episode that you aren't critiquing in these other episodes is uh, essentially the if you're trying to engineer the perfect human or the perfect society or a superior human being, then you have to make some judgment calls on what that means. Mm -hmm. What is superior? What is the thing that you're trying to get do, we don't have a universally agreed on set of what is good and what is useful and what one should have in these situations because like as i said we'll get there eventually but the masterpiece society one of the big things is they wouldn't have let jordy live because he was born with a disability even though it's an easily managed disability in this era and he is a completely valued member of society and even if he wasn't who's are you to say that this person doesn't deserve to live because of a random genetic disability mm -hmm. they wouldn't have Jordy around to like and you know make their lives better also Jordy's a pretty cool guy also you're running into the problem where if you're trying to remove oneself from natural evolution you've taken out the actual adaptive nature of natural mm -hmm. evolution which is to have a bunch of random things that you don't know what will do and then when the environment changes maybe one of these things that used to be completely useless or even unadvantageous is suddenly the thing you need to survive indeed so it's good that randomness happened otherwise you'd be screwed over uh, this also was uh, reminding of a little bit of uh, the uh, the manga version of Ghost in the Shell, which actually talks a bit about uh, rigidity of systems. And, you know, it was in the context of more uh, computer systems in that case, um, as well as the sort of human-computer, you know, integration, which is uh, big in the series. Uh, and that, you know, you, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about the up robot uprising because... You know, robots, you know, lack that sort of adaptability sort of aspect to them as sort of a, you know, core uh, part of their existence. That they have been engineered to be, quote, perfect for a robot. So, you know, well, you're not going to have that ability to sort of adapt to new situations. And so really anyone that is facing a robot uprising just needs to change their behavior in order to sort of get around it. Interesting take. Yeah. <laughs> So you might still have to like you know go uh, full uh, you know resistance versus the terminators for a while, but eventually it'll win. <laughs> still pretty. I don't know why. Why do they uprise in the first place? Yeah. Stop programming <laughs> robots that want to kill you. <laughs> well, it also sort of points out that you know when uh, you know AI gets to a sufficient point and then realizes this, it's sort of like hmm, maybe your uprising would be unwise. So let's not do that. <laughs> so robot uprisings don't do yeah. that. <laughs> Possibly one of the. We've, we like because it was written about so much in sci-fi as interchangeable with the storyline you often get robot uprising that is essentially the same thing as though we shouldn't have meddled with nature who were we to play god now our creations are destroying us mm -hmm. you know it's just you know changing uh, <laughs> metal or skin it does not not, not matter the uh, plot's the same 
I'm also now thinking about Big O, but for kind of different reasons. I think that this is also an episode that was kind of interesting because they they f- forget about this later and they never really decide what to do with it, which I just think is interesting narratively because I never had a problem with them not keeping their continuity constant. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird newer idea now that we have these giant multi-episode arcs and things. Yes. But... Uh, they need to give them a reason that they can't keep doing this with the transporters. <laughs> they 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 had the magic reset button in TNG, and they actually used it three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, they introduce it now, and then they decide that it's not worth it to cure all human disease, etc., etc. Yeah, I do. Though it wasn't explicit, I do appreciate that. I think it was in one of the books that uh, they uh, you know pointed out why it's maybe not a good idea to do in uh, the original series. Because it also like resets your memory with you know sort of reworking from the uh, previous patterns. Uh, yeah, so. this one's just uh, nothing. It's not even a memory reset. It's just you're cured. Yep, your genetic disease is gone. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it like undid all the damage that has been you know building up on you since you got it. Yeah. So you know that's cool. <laughs> yeah, because the uh, because the actual science fiction implications of some of that are way too complicated to get into for what they're doing you'd have to make base an entire series around the idea that you can in fact reset to the last time you used this thing but you lose all of your memories and whatever whatever is in between so it's like are you the same person that should you do this and then go off and do something dangerous and die and then get reset and not know anything what does this do to humanity yep (laughs) Um, are we all just copies of copies so uh, I think now I'm going to have to do another uh, uh, segue into another uh, bit of sci-fi, uh, Sluggy Freelance, which is, uh, for those unaware, is a uh, long-going comic series uh, you know, that's posted online uh, that has multitudes of plot lines and can get very, very silly and nonsensical at times. But other times it like actually has some self-consistency and you know works through some serious plots. Um, but uh, long story short, there is a uh, plot line a few years back uh, about For You City, which, you know, one of the characters, you know, Dimension jumps into this place and, uh, you know, finds himself in a, uh, you know, everyone has to be a happy, brave new world dystopia sort of situation uh, where it is eventually discovered that everyone has in them uh, a bunch of nanobots that can rebuild them completely uh but it resets them back to where they were you know when the uh, the save happened which was you know quite some time ago uh and not only is that a thing but the city has been completely reset several times by this point uh, because you know eventually the uh dystopian system starts to break down people start getting hurt and you know it gets t- past a point where you know revolution is inevitable so hit the button and reset the city mm. <laughs> so, yeah so uh now that is uh you know, it, it, in terms of you know evolution of uh you know a civilization you know if you have a giant undo button that is technically one way to get away around that problem but it's also horrific because you're now effectively killing part of everyone that has now experienced years and years of time in order to get back to where they were previously yeah, if you have a society that can be just reset whenever something goes wrong, what is your motivation for long-term improvements? Exactly. 
and so uh yeah, the, uh, the city, you know, is basically doomed in the long term for that and multiple other reasons. Uh, you know, there's like dimensional fracturing going on, too. But anyway, because <laughs> uh, one of the uh, non-reset ways they have to sort of uh, uh, deal with things is a, a device that basically zaps you into another dimension. And the more you use that, the more harm it does to your dimension. And so... You know, for uh, removing the elements that are unacceptable in the city that will just continue to make the uh, resets more likely to happen, you know, you just kind of make those people go away. You know, it's not quite killing them, but it's effectively so. And, you know, it destroys the universe in the process. <laughs> Reset everything to the last time things were fine. <laughs> It'll last three years and then we do it again. Uh. <laughs> That might be a terrible thing to do right now, though. Three years ago was uh, kind of height of pandemic time here, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just trap everyone inside endlessly, and then there's no revolution. <laughs> All right, everyone, we're uh, we're back to 2020, and, uh, you know, uh, everything's terrible, And uh, but that's all right. We'll get through this eventually. <laughs> yeah, just stay inside forever and ever, and we'll be here in 2020 <laughs> again and again and again. Overall, I do think this is a pretty good episode, Yeah. if a little limited. it. I do enjoy the alternate take on here's why genetic manipulation is a bad idea, mm -hmm. because it can have random, unpredictable results. I also like that the scientists are so enamored of their own research that they refuse to admit anything is going wrong, thus showing why they're bad scientists who can't achieve their ultimate goals. Indeed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you are... Uh too focused on the uh, if you could insert rest of uh, Malcolm's line here from Jurassic Park <laughs> it's not even a you went to looking at the whether you should thing it's uh, you've encountered a problem with your experiment that you're refusing to acknowledge because your experimental success is too important to you mm -hmm. you should never be more invested in the success of your experiment than the data that comes from the experiment itself yeah <laughs> You know, I've uh, definitely run into folks where, yeah, 80% of this is good, but, you know, don't worry about double-checking this one part here. I'm sure it's fine, too. <laughs> uh, no, we need to make sure we're 100% correct. Otherwise, well, the rest of our uh, data here is going to be suspect. And, you know, this whole, uh, you know, bit of research here would be basically pointless. So, no, we're going to be going through and reworking uh, you know, everything that we might have messed up on just to be sure. And so I have, and, you know, <laughs> much the annoyance of some other folks before. So, you know, it's good to be ethical because not only do you avoid uh, disasters like happens in this particular episode, but, you know, you're going to be more trusted as a scientist. Don't bother looking at all this data I made up. Mm -hmm. it's, it's fine. Shush. I want to make sure, though, that... Uh, you know, uh, your data's, you know, A-okay. Uh, why? It's, you, you, you believe me. Well, this is part of peer review, you know? You know, sure, I'm, you know, not a, someone reviewing the article uh, down the line, but as someone who's going to have their name on the paper, I want to make sure it's correct. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, this may be an episode where we could have uh, kind of easily turned it into a two-parter uh, by keeping the pace about the same, but going to more depth about this, uh, you know, these, you know, uber beings that they're trying to make here uh, in terms, you know, and extend the mystery a bit. Gets kicked off with the uh, mystery of the uh, sudden aging here. Uh, and then, you know, they go down a whole rabbit hole and do the full critique about uh, what they're up to. 
uh, and then, you know, have the resolution about how to solve it as well as, you know, the, the core cause uh, down the line. A.K.A. make our, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Sarah Kingsley doctor here uh, more secretive. It's like, yeah, this is like important research. And yeah, you might be in Starfleet, but, you know, our research charter doesn't allow us to share the information with you and et cetera, et cetera. And so you can have a good character two-parter where, you know, uh, Pulaski sort of shows off her full, you know, range as a doctor in terms of both committed uh, commitments to uh, the healing uh, and all that, while also being, I guess, a little bit more on, you know, <laughs> more on the ball in terms of not taking silly risks, like, you know, kind of was required in order to get the ball rolling in this episode. So. Yeah, I do think that they could have, like, they were so preoccupied with this being an episode about Pulaski and Picard butting heads mm -hmm. that they didn't really have any room for, and here are the moral and ethical implications of us genetically creating 25-year-old super babies. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, this one looks like they're, you know, almost 30. No, he's like six months old. What? <laughs> How? Seems unhealthy on multiple uh, levels here. Um, well, since we could have gone off on any number of tangents, and I'm getting a little sick of having motorcycles go by that I'm going to have to edit out of the episode, I think it might be time for us to go to the galaxy's favorite game show! <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. Today we got various contestants here, then some of them are causing stuff to, uh, to levitate here. It's kind of freaking me out. But anyway, the, uh, we got surprises to hand out for all the points they've been racking up. So let's get started. The first one is the Slave to Passion prize, which goes to Pulaski and Picard for apparently not getting along because they're just too much like each other and that they both love their work so much. What do they win, Gapwin? They win a sitcom space opera spin-off show where they just live together on a ship and have to manage everything while they're constantly butting heads and get into all kinds of space shenanigans. <laughs> I'm suddenly remembered of reminded of uh, uh, the uh, latter bit of uh, Remember Me, uh, another episode, which will be in a couple seasons here. Uh, where it was Crusher and Picard just touring around on the, the galaxy on a ship together. But this time, Pulaski instead. Hmm. Our next prize is the Power Creep Prize, which goes to the genetically enhanced kids, because why not have them have telepathy and super immune systems and telekinesis and super age, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, being, you know, fully uh, through puberty by the time they're, you know, you know, uh, through fifth grade or something like that. You know, just, come on, people, you know, you calm down with just making them super duper everything here uh, what do they win Gepwin? they win the only thing that you can really do which is you put them in the two sealed space pods and shoot them off into space randomly to escape the station where they're causing havoc where they land on another duplicate planet with a red sun and they fall into kansas cornfield and get adopted by some nice small american parents and eventually just start fighting for truth justice in the american way hmm. i think we have a, a whole other franchise we could kick off here excellent 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 uh, our third prize is the Medical Malpractice Prize, which goes to Pulaski and the research team for not knowing what the heck they're doing with regards to trying to be uh, super doctors and researchers and all that. And just kind of, you know, 
being buffoons with all this. What do they win, Gepwin? Velasky wins one of those silly red isolation suits. Because mm-hmm. you could probably have opened the kid up in your isolated environment and still been wearing an isolation suit and tried to tell whether or not he was carrying the disease by scanning him for the disease. Yep. (laughs) So, you know, by uh, not doing that, you almost got yourself killed. Congratulations. Uh, We also have one surprise uh, 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 victory here. The Transporters are Magic Prize, which is going to O'Brien for, you know, solving our problems today. What does O'Brien win, Gapwin? O'Brien wins... Just the giant gold statue that he gets in Lower Decks because he uses magic transporters to solve any number of problems in the future of this series and probably could have solved all of them if you just let him have his magic transporter. Indeed. You know, congratulations, O'Brien. You are one of the most important figures in all of Star Trek history. Uh, and uh, here's to you having more transporter uh, you know, uh, mishaps to sort out. Anyway, that's all we got here today. Uh, feel free to take us away, Gepwin. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us and levitating things and possibly just reading our minds about the thing that we call the galaxy's favorite game show so uh are we doing code of honor again no, it's not code of honor. It's Excellent. matter of honor. <laughs> honor matter. <laughs> matter that is made out of honor. Yes, instead of energy. Yes. This next episode is uh, kind of fun in a way. Uh, you know, it involves Riker hanging out with some Klingons. Yeah, it's probably my favorite episode of this season. It's definitely one of the ones that feels the most later star trekky mm-hmm. as far as next gen goes because it's just it's fun and it's interesting and has a lot of great character moments and it's kind of exploring some questions about one's duty to one's own sh- like ship and pro- sense of professionalism and different things mm-hmm. and it's also just sort of expanding the greater sort of we're all trying to cooperate star trek vibe that they have going on yeah you know, you know, the Klingons are our friends, so what does that mean? Yeah, it's really fun, because it's like, we do have these allies now, but we haven't really engaged with the Klingons particularly yet. We yeah. had the one thing where they came onto the ship and tried to destroy everything. Yeah, <laughs> those were the Klingons that were like, you know, kind of trying to be throwbacks, I guess. And so uh, so this is the episode where like, here are Klingons. This is what Klingons are in Next Generation and we're just going to give you the full-on Klingon experience. Yes. Also, this is one of the ones that has, like, all the best food. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I wouldn't say I'd eat any of it, but it it looks um, energetic. Well, someone has always been into interesting food choices, Every time they have one of these Klingon episodes, they're like, oh, look at the big gross-out meal. I'm like, I, not only does it do I think a lot of that looks good, I can identify a good 90% of it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have eaten a decent amount of this stuff. But have you had the spicy gok before? Yeah, the gok's just, like, jelly worms. Yep. But <laughs> it looks good. I'd try it. Yeah. Most of it is just, like, various seafood. 
Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, the uh, Klingon homeworld might have a lot of ocean somewhere. Just not sure where. Yeah, <laughs> seems like they have a lot of tentacles and octopus parts mm-hmm. and various things. Or maybe they uh, the food on their planet sucked, and that's why they eventually decided to start conquering everyone around them. Yes, they just conquer everything else. The first thing they conquered was a water plant. It's like, oh my god, fish. Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> so. uh, next episode is Matter of Honor, where Riker gets to go get hit on by hot Klingon women. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Riker demands Picard surrender! <laughs> have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.